So, Matt, if I had to name this episode one of two things, which one would you prefer? If I would say Matt Erickson, dash, can Trump win re-election? Or Matt Erickson, dash, Trump will win re-election. Which one should I go with? Trump will win re-election. And it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. With your host, Mike Paul. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. We are recording. And we are live from the sold-out MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is. I was doing like a Bruce Buffer thing, but. No, it wasn't bad. It'd be fun to practice your uh, your like announcer voice now that we have nice mics. You know what I mean? Live from Illinois. You know. Live from Illinois. It is Paul's to the wall. I, I don't see. I feel like I, would... I have. I don't have a good announcer voice. Like when I just talk normally, I just. I think I have kind of an annoying voice. But I think everybody thinks that. But I think I objectively have kind of an annoying voice. But I think with my ability to do impressions, I could craft a ring announcer persona. Well, you know what's like funny? That. When I was, I went to auctioneer school uh, for it was like a, a two week course. And mm-hmm. one of the instructors that came in was the guy who did the, uh, was it the, the Geico commercial? You know, it was like sold to the man in khakis. Remember he was the cashier. Do you remember that one from a few years back? Yeah. Yeah. So he's a like legendary auctioneer for um barrett jackson and he came in and uh we had to do an actual auction because they we, we were at an auction school where they had auctions every single uh, was it friday so all of us students had to go up on stage and bid call and you know they, they tossed the technique I, I still have not mastered it it's just all about a technique of filler words like bid to buy would you give would you bid to buy now five not 50 not 10, would you give you know all the stuff i've not practiced but that's you have to keep working on for years to get good at and i remember i had auctioned off some little trinkets and he's sitting there studying us and he he told me and i hate my voice i hate listening to it but he's like you got the voice you have a great voice for a microphone he's like you just have to work on your bid calling and i was kind of like do you really mean that? Because I hate my voice. <laughs> my <Yeah>. Bitcoin sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I hate my own voice too. I feel like, well, when I if I'm talking like this right now, I feel like it's fine. It doesn't bother me. But it's when I start like getting animated, which is how I talk most of the time, and I'm like, oh, that's annoying. I hate this guy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a uh, natural instinct when you hear your own voice for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but what um, was the first year? What was the first year of a human being heard his own voice? It had to be in the 1900s. 1900. No, no, I'm going to say 18, 1891. I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that because whenever vinyl technology came out, we could record. I'm, I'm pretty good at guessing years. I mean, with music, I can guess. Um, well, if it's the 80s, I think it all just sounds like the 80s. But I remember uh, my my coworker, um, a former coworker, he was a huge mu- music buff. And anytime some song would be on the radio, I'm like, Mark, what is this? 1976. And he's like, oh, yes, it was. And he actually, he, my, <laughs> my former coworker had a radio voice. He all of the time talked like this gentleman. Good to be here. You know, like all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, he was, he, he knew it like inside and out, like every single 
if it was on the radio, it was like, obviously he knows the song and when it came out and what album it was on and what track it was on the album. So he was a radio voice, but also an encyclopedia of uh, music oh, knowledge. He, yeah. Yeah. He was, he, uh, he had the most, he was like an encyclopedia of music and um, also like one of the most prim and proper guys you'd ever met. That's just how he comes off. You know, he's like, I should not swear in front of this man because he would not appreciate it. <laughs> like, you know, I was very self-aware. <laughs> Yeah. And he wouldn't say that to you. You know, you could be the boys could be boys, but you know, he just wasn't, uh, you know, it's like, he just, his, his kind of a uh, presence. You're like, I don't, I don't feel like swearing. I feel like that's low class. And I feel like I should exude class in this conversation. Well, that's respectable. Yeah. I mean, I love talking to people like that who are like music and or encyclopedias. Um, cause I, I'm a like huge junkie for music and I've, I've, I love looking up history on it. Uh, Matt oh, is joining us. Say. What's so, up, Matt? How's it going? How's it going? Not too bad. We're we're kind of already recording just to toy with our settings, but I'm going to edit out a bunch of this. So, okay, sounds good. Under pressure. Nice to officially meet you over the internet, Matt. Yeah, you too, man. Um, I just realized that I have it auto loaded my Twitter handle in here somehow. I don't know how. Can I change that? There we go. I tweet stuff. I like that. I feel like that's an incomplete handle. Is there something more to that? <laughs> it was, it was, I tweet stuff here. Oh, um, okay. but I, not I gave that up. Um, I've got a new one here. All right. I get the cutoff version, but it's yeah. King pilled at real King pilled. That's going to oh, be okay. the name of the new name of the new podcast. Oh, cool. oh nice. Nice. Now, yeah. are you going to stick with the the kind of rough format that you'd mentioned before where you talk about like the loser's point of view in history? Is that still the the idea? I'm going to do do formatted episodes that are like that, but then um, I'm going to do m more stuff just kind of like, have you seen the live streams that I've done on Facebook in the last couple weeks? Yeah, yeah. With Stephen Messina? Maybe not the last week or two, but yeah, I have seen them. It'll be stuff that's more along those lines. That's uh, just kind of general commentary about politics and culture, and and riffing on on those kinds of ideas. And then and then I'll do like formatted, like planned, pre-recorded episodes that are um, along the lines of the the losers, the losers guide to history, or whatever whatever I wind up calling it. Yeah, you know what's funny is uh, the first time I ever like had that idea planted in my head was actually I think I was. A sophomore in high school in call of duty modern warfare too like every time you die they'd have like some quote and uh i think it, who was it like a julius caesar that said uh you know history is written by the victor and mm -hmm. that idea is like part of what red pilled me i'm like wait so like when we learn about world war ii is that just because we won and we were the good guys and it's like oh my god it was like one of the like the the inception ideas that really like changed the way i think so i really right. like that idea Right. Yeah. You ever notice the fact that a uh, uh, U.S. or the in every single war the U.S. has fought, they're the good guys. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. Except for the Civil War, but then we were the good and bad guys. You got to remember right. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't the real U.S. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Isn't it funny how you know when it comes to the U.S. being the good guy, it's like anytime there's any sort of foreign conflict, we're the good guys. But then when we talk about like the uh, you know, the, the civil rights movement and everything before that were terrible and racist. But then when it comes to the military, right. we're always the good guys. And it's like very right. cleanly diced and there's no gray area. It's very bizarre that we're both, you know, America is evil and racist. And also America is like the supreme leader for, for truth and democracy in the world. 
that's how you can tell that it's a uh, it's not like a, a belief system that people have independently arrived at. It's a um, it's like a like an ideology that's been artificially implanted in people's minds. Like it's just yeah. been it's been inserted in there just like whole cloth. So each of these things is like an each it's like an individual silo of of ideas and thoughts and stuff that don't have any relationship to one another, apart from the fact that all these people all hold them at the same time. It's very yeah, much a cult. You know what? Uh, what's I, I was trying to think of like, what are the actual ideas? You know how you can like show somebody very damning evidence of something about how some kind of government corruption and they'll just kind of tune it out. And it's like, okay, if this isn't going to red pill you, this kind of red handed evidence, then what will. And in my experience to me, it's like the thing that actually red pills people is when you first start with like this idea, like, first of all, realize that humans are extremely malleable, that depending on what information you're brought up on and the story you're told, that is going to determine your worldview completely. And it's like, until you realize that there's no chance in actually changing somebody's mind about any of the big picture ideas, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's the, um, that was kind of the realization and building on that realization was what really kind of led me not not away from libertarianism, but beyond. I would say beyond libertarianism. Like, yeah, I think yeah. Libertarianism yeah. doesn't go the whole way. Libertarianism stops. Um, they don't. They don't go to their full conclusion. Yeah, and yeah. and also it's like um, I'm not the first one to say this or think it, but you know, like the the idea of the non-aggression principle. It's not the ultimate guide to morality or building a society. It's just kind of a starting block. It's like we'd really like to have this prerequisite more than anything. Right, so, and yeah, it's only it, relevant to the extent that it can be enforced. And to enforce it, you have to have power. And to yeah. have power, you have to be willing to take power. And if to be to take power, you have to violate the non-aggression principle. Yeah, you yeah. brought up something twenty-two. Last time we talked, you brought up something that's had me thinking quite a bit about how the idea of limited government, it's like, well, there's be something that limits the government and whatever that limit is, is the government. Right. And it's like, now it's this paradox where it's like, well, shit, how do you grapple with this? Like, <laughs> and I guess that's what mankind's been doing since the dawn of time. Right. Well, and that's where, that's where when you have this, this like uh heuristic or whatever that libertarians use, which is state equals bad. And like, that's, you don't have to think any further than that. You just assume state equals bad and reason from there. You, you get yourself into all kinds of all kinds of problems. You get yourself having to try to to well, for one, you have to justify all kinds of stuff that just doesn't end up actually working out. But you get completely disconnected from the real world, and so you're no longer actually interacting with events and people, and the you're having no impact on what's actually happening. You're just kind of existing in your own little um, ideology or, or idealistic world where you're every time something happens. You, you abstract out a way and think of how this would happen in your imaginary world where, where, you know, libertarianism has any impact on the real world. And then how would a libertarian react if they actually could impact something? And then that's how I'll act. But it's like libertarians are just kind of going on in their own little world over here, like completely isolated from everyone else, having no impact on what anybody else is doing. And, um, I don't remember what started me thinking about that, but well, I, I mean, on that point, it reminds me a lot of, and this is something that I've real, it's really been since the start of COVID that that message that you just laid out has kind of been hitting me where it's like, you know, we have all these solutions to what's going on and how private property and the free market would provide for PPE and all this stuff. And it's like, guess what? Our ideas are not in place right now. So right. what have we been doing this entire time? And what is the point of it? And it's, to me, it's a lot like, you know, I'm a big UFC fan. 
And when you have these guys that watch fights and they're, they're, you know, couch potatoes and they're like, you know, he should really be using his uppercut right now. I would, I wouldn't fucking eat that punch, you know? And it's like, <laughs> dude, you're, you're on the couch. You've never thrown a punch in your life. Like you need to get up and show everybody how it's done. If it's that easy, right. you know? Right. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really truth. good analogy. Yeah. That's oh. the cold, hard truth. It, it, it's unfortunate, but it's like, yeah, all our ideas work in, in principle and they work great on your immediate life too. Like I teach my kids, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Like all, all the principles are great, but it's like, how do you implement that to a society? Right. And that's something that, that's it's never really been figured out. I mean, besides maybe, you know, the dawn of the U.S. was a pretty libertarian start, you could say. Um, but yeah, it's hard yeah, to understand yeah. that. Um, it, it ultimately, that's why I said that I say that libertarianism is a is an end. It's not a means. You don't. It, it's the goal. It's the it's where we're trying to get. But you don't get to that. Like you don't achieve a libertarian society by acting like a libertarian because the vast majority of people don't want to live in a libertarian society. And if they don't want to live in a libertarian society, there's not going to be a libertarian society. So, you know, if you're, this is like a basic principle of marketing that if, if people aren't buying what you're selling, it's not, it's not their fault. It's your fault because you're, you're selling, you're trying to sell them a shitty product that they don't want. It's up to you to make that product something that they want. And then it just so happens that the vast majority of people aren't actually the ones buying the product. They're just using it. Someone else is buying it for them. So the conversation you need to be having is not with the people who are renting the product or the people who are who are just using the product that someone else paid for. You want to be having that conversation with the people who are actually buying the product, which is the government. Is is the and and really it's it's the people who control the government, the people who run the government. Those are the people you need to be um, uh, contending with. And if you're not contending with them, you're just not having any outcome on the, on the thing like this idea, like libertarians will have, they'll, on one hand, they'll say, well, democracy doesn't work or there's no, you know, democracy is bad or it's, or, you know, it just never actually it ever works out the way people expect it to. But then they have this thing where they try to go about spreading libertarianism in a democratic way. Like they, they assume that like to, to achieve libertarian outcomes, you have to persuade people to become a libertarian and vote for the libertarian party or something like, like that, that it's a numbers game and it's not a numbers game. Like the, the fact that democracy doesn't work in the first place is evidence of that. It's never the majority who's controlling the situation. It's always a small, powerful minority who get to, who make everybody else work around them. What's super ironic is that you think libertarians above anyone else would understand market demand. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> this is, this is I, I told uh, Jason when we were trying to think of a new name for the show, I said, um, I said, we should do like make libertarianism capitalist again, because it's because <laughs> like libertarians are not are, are not uh, it, it, like they, they believe in the market so much that they don't ever use it for the stuff that matters most. Like this is if you if you want there to be solutions apart from the government, go start building them yourself. And if you if they're good, if they actually like put your money where your mouth is, if they're actually as good as you say they are, then people should want them and people will naturally gravitate to them away from the state. But then once you start thinking about, OK, well, what will sell to someone? What does someone want to buy? Like these, all these people are buying the government right now. They're buying the federal, the U.S. federal government, and all the state and local governments. That's the product that they're buying. Why are they buying that product? And how can I sell them my product? Like what? How, how can I make my product appealing to them? What do they want? And so how will how how do I sell my thing in a way that they'll want to buy it? And you'll find that 
people don't want limited government. It just is not something that appeals to them. If you try to sell someone freedom or liberty, they don't want it. They explicitly don't want it. They think that they're bad things. They're like, freedom? So someone's free to just come rape me and burn my house down? Like, this is the way that people think. Mm-hmm. So if you're wanting to, if you're, if you're, what, if you're wanting to sell something to people that they're going to buy in, 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 the, in, the, in the context of, of, of providing defense services or whatever else, what you're trying to sell them is safety and security. That's what people want. People want safety and they want security. That's what H.L. Mencken said. He said, um, the average man doesn't want liberty. He wants, ser- so wants security. He doesn't want to be free. He wants to be safe. So if people are buying safety, then how can you make them safe? In order to COVID. make them safe, in order to make them safe, you have to have the power to do it. Like to, to protect people, you have to have power. Libertarians have no power. Conservatives have no power. Right-wing people in general in the country have no power. So how are they going to protect anybody if they can't even protect their own interests? They can't even they can't even enforce their own will on the world. So how are they going to protect anybody else or defend them? So Matt, one thing is I, I want to get your thoughts on this because when we're talking about how libertarianism is kind of antithetical to populism and taking political power, when you look at what Ron Paul was able to capture in 2008 and 2012. And obviously just as a, as a, you know, uh, to, to start this, uh, as to qualify it, everybody who was voting for Ron Paul and all the people that were cheering at the rallies in 2020, the the majority of them are not like Misesians who are listening to Tom Woods. They grabbed onto a movement and it was, it energized them. And then they kind of discarded it and maybe they forded with voting for Gary Johnson, but then they dropped off and now they're supporting Trump or they're just, you know, typical Democrats but there was some kind of anti-establishment populism that was driving that. So what do you think it was about Ron Paul's message that he was able to capture? And I would argue he kind of kindled that, that populist movement that we're seeing now in things like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. So what was it exactly about his message that was captivating to people in you know, the 12 to eight year past? That's a good question. Um, what was captive? What I would say is that the, that Trump's base is the people who Ron Paul appealed to. That is it isn't just that they've like grabbed onto the Trump movement. The the va- the the core of Ron Paul's base, the vast majority of people who voted for him are people who immediately latched onto Trump. And the thing that was appealing to him, appealing about him to them was his honesty. It was his honesty and the fact that he was an outsider. And that and then and and Trump took that to another level. So, so Ron Paul's branding was that he was just your honest grandpa who's going to speak truth to power and he's 100% consistent and, and like, he doesn't give a shit. Like that was, that was the, the thing that made people um, gravitate to Ron Paul. It wasn't because he was anti-war or because he was anti-fed or because, you know, he spoke approvingly of the gold standard or because he called out Rudy Giuliani or what any of these other sorts of things, those things appealed to people. But those weren't the reason that people started like grabbing onto him and following him and really being devoted to him. The people who were already inclined to, though they liked those things, but they were already inclined to like those things. So to for them, those are the, that was the choir that he was preaching to. But someone like a, like Dave Smith, who like was was like like it flipped the switch for him. He's the exception. He's not the rule. The vast majority of people liked Ron Paul because he was different. That was it. He was different and he was honest. And then Trump actually came. You, you see what happened with Ron Paul, though. Like 
it didn't matter how good his message was. Where, like, where is he now? He, you know, his, his, his movement sputtered out and, 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 and fizzled and disappeared because ultimately um, he was using his movement as a, as a marketing campaign for Liberty essentially. And he, and he actually is the exception that proves the rule. People say, well, we need to, you need to have the libertarian party so you can, you can spread the message. Like the libertarian party's responsibility is to, is to get the word out and, and teach people what libertarianism is or whatever. The libertarianism isn't, isn't unpopular because people don't know what libertarianism is. Libertarianism is unpopular because people know what libertarianism is and people don't <laughs> want it. And they, picture, so, and they picture Gary Johnson and Joe Jorgensen, unfortunately. Real quick, I want to interject. I do have one little butterfly effect of what, where Ron Paul is now. So Ron Paul flipped Dave Smith's switch. Dave Smith got on Joe Rogan. A young Nick Paul found Dave Smith, which led to Jason Stapleton, which led to you being here tonight. Well, that's crazy. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> that is that is the butterfly effect thing. Yeah, there's there's that was something else that was similar to that that I was I was thinking about recently. I'll have to see if I can remember it throughout the show. Um, but yeah, so that was that was what Trump the, the Trump appeals to people for the exact same reasons that that Ron Paul appealed to people by by and large. The when when you say like like I'm speaking specifically to Dave Smith, he 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 says over and over again like that the ideal presidential candidate is going to be anti-war and anti-Fed, and I think he's wrong. I think that he's, I, I understand where he's coming from. And um, I agree that if there was an anti-war, anti-Fed presidential candidate, I'd be very happy about him. But I'm the exception. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the very, I'm the, the, the fraction of a percent that that actually matters to. The vast majority of people, that doesn't matter to them. Now you can be anti-war and anti-Fed, but that can't be your platform. Because the majority of people don't, it's just, it's just not something that even occurs to the vast majority of people. And ultimately, it's not something that's going to occur. It's not something that's going to, that's going to be valued by the elites, by the most powerful people, by the people with money, the people with like show title plug, wealth, power, and influence. Those are the people who you have to appeal to because those are the people who are going to make the difference. Um, Vilfredo Pareto was a, was a, a social scientist from, from Italy. And he had a, uh, a, a, he's the one you got the, the, the Pareto principle from, like the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing he contributed. But the other major thing he contributed is this idea of the circulation of the elites. And it was the, his, what he deduced essentially was that uh, every society is governed by elites, no matter what. No matter the organization structure, organizational structure of society, no matter how it's, how it's structured, it will always be governed by a small group of elites. And... Um, so when you have something like, this is why you say like communism or socialism, like it always winds up with a small group of elites, just because that's how it always, always works. This is just the nature of human social organization. It's hierarchical and you always are going to have a minority who are more specialized and more competent and more intelligent and more well-connected and have ever, whatever other traits that they need to rise to the top. And so they always will rise to the top. And so then every revolution that happens, every regime change is always a, a battle within the elites. It's an intra-elite conflict. And the elites, in, a, in, a, in the, the course of a revolution, the elites bring out a populist message and appeal to the plebs just for the sake of getting the, like, the force of their will on their side. They don't actually need them and, and any more than they just need like the force of their will and the potential threat of their numbers and the threat of them rioting. So essentially, this is the way that every revolution works is one um, kind of outsider segment of the elites 
whips up the plebs into a frenzy and sicks them on another group of the elites and takes power from them, takes them down one way or another. So in it, it, you're no no political or or um, no no movement to take power or to bring about a new social structure will ever work if your ideology doesn't appeal to the elites. There has to be a segment of the elites who are willing to t- to grab onto your ideology and run with it. Because ultimately, like you think about like just in politics in general, say you have a new bill or something that you want to pass, or you have some sort of new candidate you want to put forward or or whatever. What's the first thing you have to do? You have to go get funding. You have to get somebody to back you, somebody to pay for you. Now, sometimes people will try to crowdfund it. And, you know, obviously with technology, that's a little more viable now than it used to be. But but in general, you're not going to crowdfund a presidential campaign. Like you're not going to crowdfund these major movements like that. Ultimately, your movement is going to have to be sanctioned and funded by someone with um, prestige and authority and influence and power. And then, and then what they do is they join your you you join your power with the people with them, and you take and you take power in in, in whatever system of government exists. So, uh, so th- this back to this issue with Ron Paul, uh, he failed because number one, it was I mean not not to any fault of his own really, but just I I, I think his entire movement completely underestimated the extent of the the brazenness and the corruption within. Uh, within the establishment or whatever you want to call it. And, and I think that he, he was an important step along the way. Like without Ron Paul, you don't get a Trump. Ron Paul um, laid the groundwork for Trump and that was necessary. And I think that Trump is laying the groundwork for someone else. And yeah, I agree. And that person will be here. Here's the problem is that if you want to break out of this system of oppressive government and, 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 you know, whatever compromised liberties, you know, we have, if you want to break out of that, you're not going to do it through some sort of a, um, anarcho-capitalist revolution. It just will never happen. There will never be the series of steps required to get to that point. The only way you're going to break out of it is by having the ultimate strongman who can take on the entire system and take it down. And that, so that strong man obviously is going to have to have a powerful network behind him. But that's what that's what's roiling. That's what's broiling like underneath the surface. We're building up to that point where people are going to there's going to be enough people who are unhappy and ready for a solution, and they're going to rally behind a strong man who makes Trump look like Ron Paul. And and that if you want to see um, the best possible future, that's going to be your avenue. And that's kind of where I feel like I'm trying to get libertarians thinking like that by instinct, libertarians are going to oppose that person, but that that's the person who you're going to, to, to like, he's your only hope. Essentially. He's your, your Obi-Wan Kenobi, that, that right wing strong man who will um, take executive power to himself and take on the entire system. And I, I, at this point with the nature of technology and stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up being, um, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up being sort of like an anonymous character that isn't like nobody actually knows who it is. Um, and it, but it has a really strong personality and brand and like really, I kind of like a V V for vendetta, sort of a, a thing where you don't actually know who the person is and it could be multiple people, but that person's that, that, that organization or entity is able to wield power effect. Like this is obviously we're getting kind of into some far out stuff, but like, that's where 
That's where I see things going. And I want people to be ready for that. I want people to, to recognize what's happening and recognize the, 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 the chess pieces on the board and how they're moving because the instinct for libertarians is going to be to get in that guy's way. And you'll be shooting yourself in the foot if you do that. Yeah. And you know, this is a, like, you ever listen to Sam Tripoli on tinfoil hat podcast? I've listened to a couple episodes. Yeah. I, I, to me, it's kind of like a nice change up from listening to serious, like hard hitting, like part of the problem or like, you know, wealth power and influence where it's like, okay, here's what's really going on. They'll talk about Bigfoot and aliens and crazy mm -hmm. shit. So it's like, I like to just put it on like just to, you know, unwind or something. But his analogy that he used to describe Trump where he said Trump is like Godzilla and he goes, because in every Godzilla movie, it's like, oh no, Godzilla, big, scary monster, going to just destroy the city. And everybody's afraid of Godzilla until the second monster in Godzilla appears. And it's like, oh shit, right. we might need Godzilla to fight this worse monster. And it's like, as much as libertarians love talking about like, oh, you guys keep choosing the lesser of two evils. It's like, yeah, but guess what? It's kind of true. You know, you do want the lesser of two evils. <laughs> it's like a clear choice or a clear decision here is Trump and Biden. Like, yeah, Trump has, you know, plenty of faults and there's been, you know, everyone's pointed out all of them all the time. All right. Nick, that's but, probably a great segue though. Well, go and finish your thought. Yeah. Well, so it's like, uh, yeah, I think that, that we are talking about that knee jerk instinct for libertarians to step in the way of any kind of movement that is not their own is going to turn back to bite him in the ass because I think, you know, I, I look at like Rand Paul's strategy where he's trying to be like the Trump whisperer and kind of in, like take Trump's platform and then inject some good libertarian ideas into there. And I don't know how effective that's going to be. I mean, maybe he's had some impact on some foreign policy issues and I mean, it can't hurt to try. I'm glad Rand Paul and guys like Thomas Massey exist, but I don't think that's going to be the end game in any way, shape or form. But yeah, I guess we can, we can get into our, uh, what we brought you on to talk about tonight. And that is the, the election results now that we're yeah. a good half hour in. <laughs> yeah, now we're at the half hour point. But yeah, I thought we were open with this. But hey, I, that was a great discussion. Like, that's a, that was a great episode to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> but, really. um, but yeah, so last time you and I spoke, it was two days after the election. And you said that uh, during that episode that you were optimistic about Trump pulling this out. Since then, my optimism has dwindled. Uh, I'm very skeptical about it now. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm like, you know. Maybe there's something I don't know what might happen, but you seem to have doubled down on it. And that's where I was like, I got to find out what's going on in Matt's head right now that I don't know. Like, what exactly is going on that you think Trump's going to pull this out somehow through all this madness? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm more confident than ever that that he's going to pull it out. And it's I'm trying to think of exactly where to start here. Like the. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with what I believe is not happening. And it's, and it's, this is something that a, a lot of people, um, I, I, I think that don't fully appreciate what's happening. They haven't seen everything that's going on and they I'll use. So Jason, I've obviously have, for people who don't know, I have my, the show that I'm on, I'm the co-host of a show called wealth power and influence with Jason Stapleton. And, and Jason is, is, has said like almost from the beginning that he's like, he's just assuming that Biden is going to be president. He said, there's no way that Trump's going to accomplish all this, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so he and I have had it out a couple times on the show. We've had a really, um, like rousing disagreement and, uh, and he's, you know, he's like fully accepted that he says, I hope that you're right, but I don't think you're going to be. And we'll, we'll see what happens. So part of the reason why I don't see uh, him being correct. This is going to be the least compelling answer I have, but is because I'm not that pessimistic. 
I think that that is, I don't think he realizes, and, and I'm using him as a stand-in for, for everyone else who, who thinks the same way. I don't think that these people realize just how pessimistic of a perspective that is, that, that Trump is, is, is somehow, for whatever reason, going to wind up having to concede and Biden is inaugurated on January 20th and we move forward with a Biden administration, with a, with a quote-unquote Biden administration. That is, that's a very, very, very bad situation. That's a worst case scenario. Not because Biden would be a bad president, which obviously he would be a, a catastrophic president. Um, he, I mean, he's, I have my doubts as if the guy's even alive. Like if the guy, if the, the, if like an actor playing him now or something like, like this is, it's, it's, there's like nothing that's off the table to me with, with how sketchy everything is. that's going around. Going it's on. 2020, man. Who knows? He's, he's <laughs> yeah. basically the Paul McCartney of politics. He might have died in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we have, we're going to see aliens come out next week. Like this is like the 2020 is off the rails completely. So just about anything is possible. So the, the, I, so if, if something like that was to happen where, where Trump loses all these court battles and then is forced to concede and, and Biden takes over, what you will have just witnessed is the complete collapse of belief in the American system of government by effectively the entire country. And a lot of libertarians, especially ANCAPs, like to talk a big game about how great that would be. They're like, yeah, you know, bring on the collapse. And you guys are out of your minds. You do not want to see what happens when the entire population realizes that they have no say in their own governance. Right now, they don't realize they have no say in their own governance. But they like thinking that they do pacifies them. And uh, they, they feel incentivized to go through the legitimate channels to try to get things done. Now, they're not accomplishing anything when they do that, generally speaking, obviously Trump is kind of the, the crack in the dam. He's the exception um, that has gone through the legitimate channels and, and managed to win. But what you don't want is for the right wing in America to decide that they're checked out of this whole system of checks and balances and everything, and that they don't have any representation because best case scenario, they try to secede and it leads to direct military conflict. Worst case scenario, you see a rise of right-wing violence, essentially. And so here, the difference between left-wing and right-wing violence is left-wing violence is Black Lives Matter. It's Antifa. It's rioting in the streets. It's burning down a Starbucks. You know, it's you know, beating somebody up who's out there picking a fight with them. But in general, like it's not that big of a threat. It's bad. It's it's genuinely bad and it's really not good for society, but it's not an existential threat. Right wing violence is much harder to get to. It's much harder to break that threshold to actually cause right wing violence. But once it happens, it's much worse. So it's like the, the the threshold is much higher, but once they crack, once they break through that threshold, it's it's ugly. It's genuinely really bad. Right. You probably have weapons experts, ex-military, uh, gun owners. These are guys who, if their violence gets violent, you don't want to be anywhere near it. it right. Could, you're, 
You're it's talking deadly. about you're talking about like bombings and um and uh, targeted assassinations and this type of thing. And and I there's a lot of people who are going to hear that and get a hard on. But and and yeah. like I understand that. I understand that sentiment and I I there there's a part of me that that like that appeals to. But that's not going the, the problem with that isn't that it's bad or evil or anything. The problem with that is that it's not effective. That's not going to achieve the outcome that you want it to. The best way to get the worst version of the state is to attack it head on. And if Biden winds up being inaugurated, you're going to get a whole bunch of people who feel like they have no other option and they're going to want to attack the state head on. And when they do that, we're all going to get cracked down on. So if you want the worst version of like you, if you think COVID restrictions are bad, you don't want to see what would follow that sort of an outcome. And it doesn't take a lot of people either. There would just be, a, it would, all it would take is, is a few of the, the like three percenters or whatever they are, like the, the militia groups that are a lot more on the radical, radical end. It just takes a few of them getting upset. I mean, you've seen what like a, a, a bunch of, of goofballs marching in the streets with tiki torches You've seen what what they've been able to accomplish with that. Like they've been able to blow that up into a big thing. So imagine mm-hmm. what they could do with like a mayor's office getting bombed or something. Sure, you know? like, yeah, it, it would be catastrophic. It sounds like what you're describing is kind of like the IRA versus like Great right. Britain. You know what I mean? Right. It's like this, this very tactical guerrilla warfare where people are like, "No, we're not going to be occupied because we're being occupied." And and yeah, I mean, this and is how something that worked where- out for them. Yeah, really. And and this is something we've talked about on the podcast before, but it's like 21st century Americans are by far, it's not even close, the most coddled and insulated group of human beings that have ever lived. Like right, boomers sure. onto us. Like we people like we were talking about the commercials since COVID started, where it's like, we're going through these hard times and we're all in this together. And it's like, guys, this is it's weird, but it's really not that bad. As long as there's food on the shelves at the grocery store and like your heat and ache and your AC is on this, this really isn't hardship. This isn't a famine or a civil war. You know what I mean? And right. people don't realize how much worse things can get and things like civil unrest. And especially when you're talking about the scale that we could potentially see, that's bad. That's really bad. That's when you start having like, yeah, people just aren't going to work every day and supply chains don't function properly. And people are starting to get defensive because they're actually worried about feeding their kids, you know? Right. Yeah. Matt, can I, can I back you up one second too? When you're talking about how people can handle, understand that their vote really doesn't count, even though it's an illusion already. Um, You and I know, and Nick, we all know this is an illusion. Um, We, you know, we don't trust the system as much as the, the average uh, people you see driving down the highway with their mask on. They're in a whole different world than you and I are, but this whole, election season and I, i'm trying to think where i could pinpoint where i've really started noticing i'd probably say once the the hunter biden story cracked with the new york post thing i feel like that moment was like pivotal where that was like the scene from wizard of oz where it's like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain and it's right now they're still trying to pull the curtain back and it's like pretty people are like there's who's behind that curtain we're all kind of doing that right now like there's there's got to be something behind that curtain because it's moving an awful lot but they're telling me not to look at it and, and I feel like that's where we're at with the election. Even the people on the left got to be going, maybe there was some, you know, fraudulent activity going on on our direction and, and you know, for our side. Should, don't want to say anything because I want my guy to win, but it's pretty sketchy stuff. You know, the, like the, the polling, it's obviously the polling has been bullshit for the most part, but there's there's some some polls you can trust. 
And when you see a poll that says that the majority of Democrats believe that Biden stole the election, you can trust that that poll is going to be accurate because there's nobody who has an incentive to, to, to skew that poll. Nobody who would would have an incentive to, to, to make that poll um, fraudulent somehow. So what you've seen, well, you've, you, you identified it exactly. The, the, the Hunter Biden moment was really the big, that was the big break. And then election night was the next big break. So I said the thing about the, the first thing I said, um, my reasoning that I'm not that pessimistic to, to think that Biden will be inaugurated. And I said that was my least compelling reason. Um, I'll, I'll go into some of the other reasons why I'm confident. So um, there's going to be a bit of a buildup here. So with the uh, uh, election night, to, well, okay, so back, backing up to the, the Hunter Biden thing, this was one of the first times where as the narrative has been spinning out of the control of um, the cathedral of the, you know, the established powers that be who have this, this narrative control that they, you know, they're, they're creating uh, like a, a, a fiction. Like there's, it's this carefully constructed fiction that um, the, the way the world works and how um you know, you know, that Trump is this Russian agent and whatever else, like that narrative has been spinning out of the control of the press because the internet has, has enabled people to route around the established controlled narrative. And this is why there's been such a huge effort to try to crack down on social media because social media has been the tool that people have used to route around the, this, the, this like corrupted node on the network, which is the, the corporate press. And Hunter, the Hunter Biden story was one of the first times where a major outlet published a story like this and it was just suppressed outright it, it, suppressed it made watergate look like a parking ticket right yeah this was massive and there was like legitimate substantiation for all of it and it was legitimately just suppressed just outright openly suppressed it wasn't challenged it wasn't disproved it wasn't debunked it was just suppressed then you had election night and the biggest flip, the most influential thing that happened on election was, was on election night. And it was Fox's heel turn. When Fox suddenly went clearly in the tank for Biden and they started acting so bizarrely, they were like refusing to call Florida for Trump, even though it was very obvious that, that, that Trump was going to win Florida for like two or three hours. They wouldn't call it yet. They were calling all this other stuff. And then they called Arizona super early for Biden. And then just kept like refused to change. They just double down and triple down. And ever since then, you've seen all of their messaging completely change. They've all like it, it used to be that Fox was the the the, the network that pretended to be the um, they 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 provided the alternate perspective, and so they were the right wing network. I mean, even though if you if you listen to Fox, it's like the most like boomer tier, milk toast, watered down, like uncontroversial stuff ever. But it, it, it at least pretended that there was an alternate perspective. Ever since election night, Fox has fallen into line. And they've become basically like CNN Jr. And so, I mean, even Tucker Carlson has, has been like referring to him as president-elect Biden. And like, like even, even Tucker, who seemed like he was, you know, our guy, like he's, he's even on board now with, whatever they're, with whatever's going on over there. So that happening really, really rattled a lot of people. And it, and it woke a lot of people up. And they started realizing, okay, well, if I want to get news about what's happening, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. Like, I can't even listen to Fox and try to get an alternate perspective. Yeah, I know and, a bunch of people have gone to Newsmax. Yeah, Newsmax of, and OANN are the yeah, other ones. 
Um, and even they, even they haven't been carrying a lot of the stuff. So then you get people who are following like, um, the Epic times is one of the best. If you not, it's not a, a, a TV network. It's a, it's a, a newspaper. Um, but it's one of the best. Um, if you're wanting like actual accurate news and like, you're trying to get a full coverage of everything that's going on, they've covered the most stuff of, of everything that I've seen, but even they haven't gotten into all of it. Really, the people who wanted to know what's going on are having to go directly to the source. And to go directly to the source, you have to be on Twitter. Twitter is where everything has been happening. That's where all of the news has been dropping. So for people who realized that early on and they headed there to Twitter or they were connected to people who were on Twitter, that's, those are the people who have, who have had an idea of what's going on. That's hilarious you mentioned Twitter because right when the Hunter Biden story was breaking, I was uh I, I got into it hardcore and like I've, I'm not even on Twitter, but I would just go to Google and then I look up Donald Trump's name on Twitter and see what he was posting. Then I punch in you know even like Charlie Kirk or Ben Shapiro to see what they're posting, and then I was trying to get all this play by play. And then like um I think oh yeah when, when that uh Biden's former uh, business associate came out and was going to speak, like I was like on that and it was like. I think I, I woke up in the middle of the night to take care of one of my babies and I came back and just checked my phone and saw that just broke like 20 minutes before. So I sent it to a group chat with Nick and a couple other friends. Like, there is no way he's getting elected. Holy shit, he's going down. And <laughs> I, I go back to bed. I wake up at, from, at like 6 a.m. with a text from Nick saying, dude, you have to sleep at some point. <laughs> but, but that was the, like Twitter was like the only play-by-play thing where they could not filter it fast enough. It was like a game of well, whack-a-mole. They were trying to just put out. I just want to make a quick point on the Hunter Biden thing. I was, of course, like right away, you look at all the evidence and it's like, oh, clearly there's corruption happening here. But I feel like the age of the the political scandal is almost over where nothing short of Joe Biden, like doing a blood sacrifice of a child during like a live debate is going to get people to admit that there's anything going on. Like it doesn't matter how red handed you catch somebody in the most vile of acts. It's like, no, we're just going to say that that was debunked because there's a Vox article going around that I saw on Facebook that said it was debunked and MSNBC is not paying attention to it. And you must be some kind of Alex Jones follower, which I mean, you know, that's a whole other <laughs> whole separate conversation. Most accurate but, foreteller in the, in the, in the nation. <laughs> yeah, people love to just meme the guy. But and, and Matt, that's what I was going to say. One thing that I appreciate about following you, especially like on social media is so many people, uh, especially like conservative pundits where they're, they're like striving to become part of conservative Inc. They are so afraid to kind of take a a conspiratorial, like non-official view of any kind of story. And one thing you don't do is you do not shy away from taking the conspiratorial angle. Like, yeah, go ahead, like throw the tinfoil hat arrows at me. I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, I'm going to stick with what I think is the truth here. If if there's one thing 2020 has taught us is to at least listen, hear out the the conspiracy theories just before you side with them. Like at least like, okay, a lot of crazy stuff has happened. Like maybe if you you could have taken somebody, like you go in a time machine, go back to 2018 and tell somebody like, listen in 2020. Okay. Kobe Bryant is going to die in a helicopter crash. And then this virus is going to break out. And then the government's going to tell everybody they can't go to work and you're going to have all like the NBA is going to shut down their season and then all the masks and then all this stuff. They'd be like, dude, you're crazy. That'll never happen. Even like your average blue pilled person. And then as soon as it happens to them, it's like they become so quickly acclimated that they, they won't even acknowledge that like, yeah, this is what we must do. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's, that's like the most, uh, I guess as long as we're talking about pilling the most black pilling thing to me, it's like, it, it, there is no hope in, in waking up most people. Like it's, it's a lost cause. 
most people want to stay plugged into the matrix. They, they really have no desire to come out of it. All right, Nick, this is going to get very off subject so that we could really expand upon that. I really want to stick to why Matt thinks Trump's getting elected. <laughs> <Yes>. So let's <laughs> give it back. As much as I but want yeah. to keep going. One thing you said there, the, the blackpilling thing, like it's the black pill is when you realize how, how much of a lost cause most people are. And then the white pill is realizing that it doesn't matter that, the, that those that you don't have to appeal to those people. They don't matter. The people who are not capable of the, the, the people who the, the, they're NPCs, the people who are walking around with with programs running the 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 EXE files running in their in their brains that are just uh, like taking pre-programmed steps and making pre-programmed decisions and everything. Those people don't matter because they're programmed, which means you just have to deal with the programmers. You don't have to deal with the programs. You just have to deal with the programmers. And that's a much smaller um, a group of people with a much clearer target. Like trying to trying to deal with the with the the programs, the NPCs running around is like herding cats. It's like herding cats on meth. The you, but you don't need to. You don't have to to do anything with them. They don't matter. So so like when I'm when I post stuff, that's why I don't care about getting into the conspiratorial stuff because when I post stuff, I'm talking to the people who are listening. That if you're not listening, if you're not interested in what I have to say, if you think that I'm off my rocker or whatever, that's fine. I don't care. I don't, I don't hold it against you unless you get irritating, unless you like like are constantly like nagging me or something. But otherwise, like I don't care. I'm talking to the people who are going to listen because I've realized that society turns on the intransigent minority, the the one uh, small like intolerant group of people who refuse to be moved. And they say, this is what I'm going to do. And this is where I'm going to go. This is where I'm going to look. This is what I'm going to think. And you can't do anything about it. Um, so, so those are the types of people that I'm looking for. Those are the ones I'm trying to target. But anyways, okay. So back to why I think Trump's going to win. So it's been really bizarre over the last month, month and a half here to see just how far the corporate press has gone in refusing to cover any of this stuff and then not and then just even further like when they do touch on it if they touch on any of it they you, you see things where like you'll say um on twitter it'll say um it'll make make a claim it'll say you know uh quote fill in the blank claim comma journalists and fact checkers report so the news release that you get is that the journalists and fact checkers have determined something not to be the case. But the thing that they determine not to be the case never hit the news. It Once it hits the news, it's when they're debunking it and saying that it's not the case. And so what they're doing is they're, they're taking a small distorted aspect of the story and they're pulling it out and they're debunking it and saying that was the whole story. Wow. And people don't have anywhere else to go to find out more because they're, what are they? They're going to go to Fox. Fox isn't covering it. Are they going to go to OANN? It'll take a couple days for it to get up there or, you know, like, and even they're not addressing all of the stuff. So what I've been watching is all of this stuff that's going through the, the, um, the, 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 the courts right now, all these different claims and stuff, all the different fraud allegations, all this stuff. I watched all of this stuff in real time developing on Twitter. And a lot of it, was developed by anonymous people who were just worked like some guy who's like a like a, a, a um, computer scientist or something or some guy who's a data analyst 
data a data analysis expert or, or you know all these different people who are just they're like passionate about this thing and they want to want to contribute so their name their name is like you know dumpy squid on twitter and they'll have this really long tweet where they went and they a tweet thread where they went and they like um downloaded all of the data from the the actual um like elections website and they went and they sorted it all and they parsed it and they started analyzing it and they realized that there's clear fraud and they they like tweet out post all the evidence of it and next thing you know the trump legal team has is starting is 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 picking up on it and they're like actually making it official so this this is where all the news has been coming from. So if you're not tapped into that circle or you're not tapped into someone who's tapped into that circle, you're not going to hear about it. All you're going to hear is journalists and fact checkers have debunked uh, a, a distorted version of that claim. Wow, so that's... even the people who actually who are, are red pilled on the press, they don't realize just how much they're depending on the press. When they say, well, it doesn't look like there's any evidence here or it's not going to make it through, they don't fully yeah. appreciate the magnitude of the actual evidence that's there. Wow, that's that's an extremely compelling point, um, only because that's exactly how in tune I was with the Hunter Biden story. Like I mentioned before, like it was I was play by play. I could not get enough just kind of every hour looking up like what's new, what's breaking. And it's like, oh, my gosh, there's no way he's winning. But then I look around and realize that nobody else is seeing what I'm seeing. It's only because I'm obsessed with it. They're getting it. And when, when you're saying that, it's like, well, now I've kind of like, <laughs> I've kicked my Twitter habit <laughs> since uh, since the election. And I was like, okay, this is not healthy for my mental health or anything else. Um, I'm kind of downwind of it, all of this now. And I'm just like, well, you, you know, you're probably the only person I listen to on any podcast that's still optimistic. So I'm like, well, if, you know, if Jason and Dave Smith and Tom Woods and all these guys aren't saying he's going to win. Well, I'm not even going to waste my time looking it up because what am I going to do that's going to change anything? But what you're saying is like very reminiscent of how I felt during the Hunter Biden scandal. Well, Matt, so, Matt, when you're talking about this kind of like decentralized information network, I can tell you where I'm hearing all of this, Okay, uh, you know, apart from people like you and a, a handful of others that share this kind of information on social media, the one place that I've really like come in contact with all of these articles from like these kind of like alternative sites are just through group texts. Like I have right. group texts with like three or four different groups of friends or family or cousins. And they're sending articles from like, you know, the gateway pundit or like the right scoop.com or red state. red state and these places that, that are not afraid like they weren't ever a part of the establishment. So they're not afraid to lose that status. So they're, they're playing hardball and having like this kind of guerrilla warfare where it's like, no, we're pumping this information out there. So, I mean, that makes complete sense. So, I mean, I, I guess to to ask, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but do you think this ends in the Supreme Court? And then I heard today, and forgive me because I just heard this like right before we started, but did Amy Coney Barrett recuse herself from any kind of election uh, vote today? I, I heard that from one person, but I haven't verified it at all. When did you hear it? Like two hours ago. It was a friend. He's like on the phone. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, like ACB said that she's not going to be a part of any kind of election vote. And I don't know. I had no time to vet this. Like we hopped on like right before. The so only, I mean, I, I, if that happened, it, it would have been in the last like hour before we went live. And I haven't okay. looked at anything in that time. So it's possible that it came out then. Um, but otherwise, well, you know what I can do? Like that's something that if that actually happened, oh, that should be all it, over Twitter. It will yeah. be the only thing anybody is talking about. Yeah. So I, um, right away, I'm like, I should have heard about this by now if it, if it really did happen today, but yeah, cause Nick and I are in a, in a group text with a few of our older cousins and, and um, they're all, you know, 
very uh well most of them are uh, irrational optimists about <laughs> Trump getting elected. So, so like they, they're the ones that are sending me all the information where I'm like, hey, you know what? If Once they send me it, then I'll know Trump's winning. Until then, I'm done investigating because I have four little kids to raise and I'm done obsessing over something I can't control. Yeah, but, Matt, so not, I don't want to get too far ahead. And if you want to shoot this down, that's fine. But I mean, do you think this ends in the Supreme Court or do you think there's some other legislative po- process that I heard like uh, Curtis Yarvin talk about when he was on Pete Canonez's podcast where he's like, no, Trump, if he wants it, it's his. Like all he has to do is not concede and and he retains power because I forgot the process, but like the state legislators send their delegates to the, you know, to, to the Senate or something like that. So like logistically, like what do you like? What is the path that you think is most likely? So, um, just real quick on the Amy, Co- Amy Coney Barrett thing. There's nobody. It's no nobody talking about it. So okay. um, yeah, I'm going to so. assume that it that it's that it's not true. Fake um, news. Yeah, fake news. <laughs> um, okay, so it's it's already in the Supreme Court, uh, and um, I'll get into that in just a second. I will say the the Curtis Yarvin thing. That is. A, that's a, like that, that could be like a potential backup. Um, that's not the route that's being pursued at the moment. But but here's the thing: the this is going to sound so. There's this 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 meme that's going around, which is cope. Everyone's just like accusing everyone of coping because they like say, you know, there's this official process that has to happen. So people said like the the uh, uh, the, the the media declared. That, that Biden was president elect and people were like, the media doesn't declare who is president elect and people, Oh, you're just coping. It's cope, 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 cope. And, and they were like, well, there's a genuine process. Like there's a months long process where all of this has to go through. And at every step of the process and 20 different steps in between each step, there's areas where all kinds of different, different things can happen. There's so, so many different avenues for relief in this way or that way or whatever. So, um, so that's one, that's, that's, that's like another point as to why I'm confident that it's going to happen because I know the, the magnitude of the fraud. I know the extent of the fraud and it's not fraud. That's just going to go away. Like it's not something you can just sweep under the rug. It's like, it's calling into question basically every major election in the United States for the last decade, at least maybe longer. <clears throat> that's not for something sure. that you just do away with. So, so, so when I say that I'm confident, it's because there's the Supreme Court thing. And I'll explain that in just a second. But then you go beyond the Supreme Court thing. Say say for whatever reason he fails in the Supreme Court. There are still many different avenues after that. And I the only way that Trump does not uh wind up being president is if he concedes. And I don't see a conceivable path to him conceding. No, no, that's that's was, not in the tapes. Already. That's yeah, the no, only he- way. Trump's the one thing you can knock Trump all you want. You know, you and I talked last time where I was never, I near I voted for Trump in 2016. I'm not a big Trump supporter. Just to disclose that the guy is not a loser. The guy is a winner his entire life. He wins, wins, wins. He competes or outcompetes anybody. Um, I can say that with sure confidence. He will not concede this election. Um, even if it was like questionable, but given what we know, uh, that he's not going to concede this thing. So that's, right. And it's not that's, because it's not because he's a spoiled brat who just can't acknowledge that he lost. Right. It's because he has a legitimate shit ton of ammo for actually pursuing all of this. So mm. I'll explain the Supreme Court thing. Um, and then after I do that, then I'll explain why Trump has been prepared, what Trump has done to prepare for this and why I know that he has all of that ammo. So I'm just putting that out there so I don't forget. Sure. Um, the Supreme Court thing. So 
the the first case that made it to the Supreme Court was um, it was first announced a couple of days ago. It was the one in Pennsylvania. It was um, the the plaintiff was uh, Representative Mark Kelly, a Republican um, from Pennsylvania, and he was his his. So, so the Supreme Court is an appeals court in general, primarily. It's a, an appellate court. So it's a, it's a court where it doesn't have original jurisdiction in very many areas. In general, to get the, to the Supreme Court, you have to be appealing a, a ruling from a lower court. So that's one, one thing here that people have said, oh, well, Trump's going to lose because look how many cases that he's lost so far. And first of all, not all of those were actually Trump legal team cases. This is another thing that like people will be like, oh, that's, you're just coping. But I'm like, these are legitimate distinctions. So the Trump legal team filed three cases. The the All those other people have totaled up like 50 of them or something. These are all, this would be like if I went and I filed a case and I said, I voted for Trump and I feel like I was disenfranchised. And so I'm filing to contest this yada, yada, yada. Hmm. Then I would be considered part of Trump's legal a, a process by the way that people are talking about this. So these are just anybody. Some of them are close Trump allies, like the um, uh, Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood are close Trump allies. Those those are effectively part of his legal team, even if formally, officially, they aren't. But then it goes all the way. It, it, it you get like people that are just kind of random people who were just like filing on behalf of Trump because they were Trump voters. So right, right. The, the actual Trump legal team has only filed three cases. So this one case was not part of the Trump legal legal um, team, but it's it made it to the Supreme Court. And what they're filing on their 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 um, what they allege is that the um, Pennsylvania vote, if Pennsylvania Electoral College vote, has been um, certified um, illegally. And the reason they contend that is because they said um, that the the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, approved a measure that. Um, made it. It changed the deadline for submitting absentee ballots and moved it to three days after the the uh, election. And the according to the Constitution, the state legislatures establish electoral law for each individual state. So um, the the Supreme Court has no standing or no jurisdiction to make that determination. And I believe it came from the Secretary of State originally. So it was basically the Pennsylvania state. Um, executive and judiciary working to end round the legislation. And I think part of the the way that the, the, the law in Pennsylvania works is that a change like that has to be number one passed by the legislature, but it also has to be passed. It has to be voted on and approved by the people. And um, I think that there was just like a little bit of, of stuff was done with the legislature. I don't think they even formally completely passed it, but it definitely was never put to a vote for the people. So that change that was made to extend out the absentee vote deadline was illegally made. So that means that any votes that came in after that, after the deadline on the, on election night, those are, those were illegal ballots that can't be included in the count. That's what their count, case right. Was. Or Which I don't know if the was Pennsylvania one of the I think it was just Michigan and Wisconsin that had like the mega dumps in the middle of the night, or was Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania also did too? Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. All the swing states, right? Almost all the swing states had these. And, and yeah. just the data, yeah. which is like, it's like, okay, please, somebody, please rationally uh, respond to how this happens. And they're like, well, it was a computer glitch. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Could you be a little more rigorous than a computer <laughs> yeah. glitch? Yeah. It just happens to be the winning, like, you know, uh, what do they call it? The the buzzer shot. What is the basketball winning term? Got up, like, 
Yeah, right. I've got, I've had a brain fart. I'm not a huge basketball <laughs> fan, but that's the analogy I'm going with. It's like, right. you know, Biden has this buzzer beater in three states in the middle of the night. And it's like, yeah. All at the same time. Yeah. And I, right I as far all aware, did in a pause. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, you don't see these major jumps anywhere else at any other point in election night where it's like, okay, shouldn't we see glitches as like a normal thing where it's like, oh no, a hundred thousand Trump votes just came in. It was all one every, way. every glitch benefits Biden. You yeah. know, so like those aren't glitches. And, uh, and then the other point with it was, um, uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get, just be, get back to the, uh, to the Supreme court. So, uh, so that's the case. That's the case that they, um, that just made it to the Supreme court. That's, that's one of the cases that just made it to the Supreme court. Um, the, to get there, the, the lower court judge who ruled on it, um, appealed to a principle that said, so when people say, oh, they've been losing, Trump's been losing these cases in, in, in court, so he's not going to win. Like these are the these are the types of ways he's been lo- losing. So the legal principle that the judge applied is called latches. And it means it's like a like the the statute of limitations for a civil suit for a civil court. So w- what it said was that the this so this 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 um change that had been made to move back the deadline for the absentee ballots. It was done, I think, in October of 2019, or it was done like it wasn't just passed. It was done a while back. And so the judge is saying, basically, if you had a problem with it, then you should have you should have sued back then. The problem is back then they would have had no standing on which to sue because they hadn't experienced an injury. They experienced the injury once the date passed and ballots were collected illegally and added to the total and change the outcome of the, once that happened, then they had had an injury that gave them standing to sue. So what this judge did was create like a legal catch 22 where it's basically like saying, well, um, if you wanted to, if you wanted to sue that person for murder, you should have done it before they killed him. Hmm. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's like a legal paradox kind of. And basically it is, it's a, it's a judge saying, I'm not ruling on this passing the buck. So that, that made it to the Supreme court. So today was the, what's called the safe Harbor deadline, which is where, um, the, the, the States are required to, um, have their, all of their, uh, their electoral college votes certified by this date so that they can be counted on the 14th. So they have to be certified by now, which is supposed to create kind of like a hard break so that you get any sort of, of conflicts, or um, any sort of, of or of contest about it has to be resolved by this date to create a buffer so that there's no issue with the 14th. So this is a clear issue. Like this is it's clearly being contested. So for them to certify it, even in, in spite of it being contested, like they, that's another point where they, I don't think that it would be illegal to, for them to certify it when it's still being contested, but it would just be um, like inappropriate. So this, that was, today was that date. The Supreme Court, um, Samuel Alito, is the one who oversees that that region, who's a, a very conservative justice, and um, he's the one who who said, "Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna um, hear this case." But what the plaintiffs had, the people who are who are filing on behalf of Trump, what they had um, requested was they requested emergency injunction, which is basically requesting that the Supreme Court, before hearing the case, that they move to um, enjoin or stop. Pennsylvania from certifying its electoral college votes right now, because they're saying this is contested. We need you to, to step in and say, you guys can't certify this until it's been, it's been contested today. Um, 
so when, when they first um, made that request, um, Alito said, you need to have your paperwork in by um, the 9th in the evening. And so people were like, okay, well, that's after the safe harbor deadline. So that's a signal that, that SCOTUS isn't going to rule on it. Then he changed the date. And he moved it up to this morning, this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And so then people were like, okay, well, then this actually is probably an indication that they will rule on behalf of the of the the, the of Trump. And then news broke this afternoon that they said, oh, the, the Pennsylvania case was lost. The, the Supreme Court threw it out. That's what was reported. But what actually happened was the Supreme Court denied that request for emergency injunction. So they just said, no, we're not going to step in right now and order Pennsylvania to not um, certify, that move forward with certifying their electoral college votes. But they didn't throw the case out. The case is still available to be made. And typically, from what I've read, according to, to lawyers that I've been following, they said that typically emergency injunction is granted only when that's the only form of relief, when there isn't another alternative path. So by denying that, but still accepting to hear the case, it means that there's alternative paths for relief. So that's one Supreme Court um, vote that's, that's um, or one, one case that's made at the Supreme Court that's yet to be heard. Um, oh, and one other point there as well was that um, before the election, Alito had issued a, an order to the state of Pennsylvania saying that they were required to segregate all of the votes that came in after the deadline on election night of 8 p.m., that they were required to segregate all of those and not include them in the, in the count. And the state of Pennsylvania ignored them and just did it anyways. So that's a little more background on that specific aspect of that case. So the other big news that broke today was that the state of Texas is suing Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. And this is where it gets really interesting because what all of these different lower courts have all done, so that the state courts are just unbelievably corrupt. They, it was like guaranteed that they were going to be like the, the Trump campaign would never win anything there. No matter, they could have the most, most watertight case ever and they would never win anything because this lower, the state courts are so corrupt. Fortunately for the Trump campaign, all of those different cases all lost very quickly in the state courts which allows them to be escalated to the federal level. Now, Trump just spent the last four years appointing a record number of federal judges. So that's convenient. But then, then even, even if they continue to fail and be ruled against in the federal courts, in the appeals courts, that still benefits them because it gets them to the Supreme Court faster. And that's the ultimate goal is to get to the Supreme Court because that's the only decision that would actually count. Any other court that ruled in any way wouldn't be taken seriously. There's the possibility that the Supreme Court could rule and order these states to throw out their electoral college votes and the states could give them the finger and, and, and move forward anyways. They're not required to obey the Supreme Court. So, so a lower court would, would just absolutely, there's no question that they would have just been ignored. So it's benefited the Trump campaign to lose all these cases because it's gotten into the Supreme Court as fast as possible. So what's very interesting about Texas suing these states is that there's a few narrow cases where the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction over a case, meaning that they aren't just in a that, that they don't just hear appeals, but they actually are take the case originally from the ground up. And the 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 um one of those cases is where one state is suing another state. Um, and so, uh, I guess we'll, we'll cut off here. So Nick, you can drop out. Yeah, Sorry about that. We can edit that out. I didn't want to interrupt your flow or cut off where you were at, but <laughs> yeah, Matt, really, so good, Matt. 
I, I'm I'm up early as you know I'm up with the uh, up with the birds, so I gotta I gotta head out here. But it was really good talking to you, man. I'll have to listen to the rest of this because I am sucked in right now. So yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, just keep right. rolling, Matt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let me catch my train of thought here. So they are um, Supreme Court has original jurisdiction on um, one state suing another state. Okay. So with them suing these other states now, they actually can take it directly to the Supreme Court and it doesn't have to go to another court first. And what this means is that they have the opportunity now for evidentiary hearings. What's been happening in all of these lower courts is the the judges have been ruling against them without ever getting to an evidentiary hearing. So they they haven't even been considering evidence. They've been ruling on these cases like on their merits without actually like pursuing them in any way or hearing them out. They've just taken like, I think like their initial briefs or whatever. And here's where I'm mean, obviously I'm not a lawyer. So they've been, they've been um, throwing them out without ever actually getting to the point where they present evidence. And in general, when you go to the Supreme court, you can't present new evidence unless it's a, it's the, an original jurisdiction court. So in this case now, since it's an original jurisdiction court, the um, um, Texas can actually present new evidence, and or, or the the people in this in this case can actually present new evidence. So so Texas is suing each of these states, and what they're alleging is that um, as part of the Constitution, each of the states that was part of the Constitution um, set up uh, their the, they agreed upon the way that they were going to manage their electoral process. So each of the individual states has a vested interest in all of the other states abiding by the constitution in that in that context and 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 um managing their elections properly if they manage their elections fraudulently then the other states now have standing to sue for breach of contract so that's what's happening here is texas is suing michigan uh wisconsin pennsylvania and georgia for effectively for breach of contract for violating election law and they're they're doing wow. it on a couple different grounds they're they're doing it for um, violation of the equal protection clause, because in different states, actually, you know what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to pull up. There was a breakdown here that I shared on Facebook, sure, and I'll just pull it up here so that I can get all the details. And I'm going to sit quiet so you don't lose your train of thought because I am sucked in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. So this is the thing I shared on Facebook, and I'll just read directly from it because it has all the details here. So it said the four offending states each violated the U.S. Constitution in two ways. First, they violated the electors clause of Article two of the Constitution when executive or judicial officials in the states changed the rules of the election without going through the state legislatures. The electors clause requires that each state shall appoint its presidential electors electors, quote, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, close quote. In the early years of the Republic, most state legislatures appointed their presidential electors directly without holding a popular election for president. That would change during the early decades of the 19th century. But the constitutional principle remained the same. Regardless of whether a state appoints its electors by a vote in the legislature or by a vote of the people, it is the state legislature and only the state legislature that sets the rules. Thus, when the Pennsylvania Supreme Court extended by three days the deadline for receiving mail-in ballots, contrary to the law passed by the state legislature, the state court changed the rules in violation of the electors clause. Similarly, when Georgia's Secretary of State responded to a lawsuit by entering into a compromise settlement agreement and release, i.e. a consent decree, with the Democratic Party of Georgia and modified the signature ver verification requirements spelled up by Georgia law, that changing of the rules also violated the electors clause. 
The second, you're going to say something? Um, oh, no, go ahead. No, okay. The second constitutional violation occurred when individual counties in each of the four states changed the way that they would receive, evaluate, or treat the ballots. 20 years ago, in the landmark case of Bush v. Gore, the Supreme Court held that it violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment when one Florida county treated ballots one way and another Florida county treated ballots a different way. Voters had the constitutional right to have their ballots treated equally from county to county. So when election officials in Wayne County, Michigan, ignored the requirements of Michigan law and denied poll watchers access to vote counting, while other counties in Michigan followed the law, that violated the Equal Protection Clause. Similarly, in Wisconsin, whoops, zoomed out. Similarly, in Wisconsin, when the administrator of the city of Milwaukee Elections Commission ignored the requirements of Wisconsin law and directed election workers to write in the addresses of witnesses on the envelopes containing mail-in ballots, while ballots without witness addresses were deemed invalid elsewhere, that resulted in the unequal treatment of ballots in the state. So this is the standing upon which Texas is suing each of those four states. So the thing and, I was going to say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, the one thing I was going to say in the middle of that was that you just, this whole thing has given me a whole new level of respect for what the founding fathers outlaid, where it's like right. so many levels of checks and balances, where it's like, if something as crazy as 2020 happened, it's not going to be easy to fake it. Like there's going to be so many checks and balances at so many different levels, even the states can sue the other one for avoiding the contract. And it's like, no one taught me that in public right. education. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. It's the, the constitution is a pretty brilliant piece of technology. I mean, it's been, I, I subscribe to the Lysander Spooner perspective on the constitution that it's either, um, it's either authorized the, the, the form of, of government that we have now, or it's been powerless to prevent it. And so in either case, it's not fit to exist, but the point remains that it was a brilliant piece of technology it was put together by brilliant men who were genuinely ahead of their time. The problem is like time just as, as time goes by, we realize the flaws and we realize the issues with it. And well, clearly uh, they were just, they're all racist. They didn't do anything else right, right. with their lives. They just, yeah. they just hated minorities. They were gen and like a lot of them were young. They were like our age or younger. Mm -hmm. I know like, like um, Alexander Hamilton, I think was like in his late teens, early twenties. Wow. These, the guys were just absolutely brilliant people, but anyways. Okay. So, so Texas is suing these other states and Louisiana, Arkansas, and Alabama that I've heard so far are, are uh, joining on behalf of Texas. They're joining in and suing. And there's a good chance that more states will join in over the next couple of days. The Supreme Court has given the defendants uh, the, a deadline to respond by um, Thursday. I don't remember what time, but at, on Thursday. So they've given them two days pretty much to, to, to bring a response, which means that they're going to hear the case. So these two different cases now are both pending in the Supreme court. The first case, the, the Pennsylvania one, when they denied the emergency request for injunction, they did so right after Texas filed this lawsuit. So I would, it, it, you, you don't know for sure if the two decisions had any, if they, if it had any in, impact on it, like if they decide to deny this emergency injunction because Texas was going to be filing and that they're, and they're going to merge the cases. That's what a lot of the people that the lawyers I've been following, they said, that's what it looks like is what's going to happen is they're just going to say, you guys are basically all saying the same thing. We're going to make you all party to one big, beautiful suit. Now I chose those words specifically because a couple of weeks ago, 
there was an article published, and I, I want to say it was USA Today, but I don't remember, where um, it said that that Trump wanted to put all of this stuff all together into one big, beautiful suit and present it to the Supreme Court. But his lawyers said that he didn't have standing for that. And there was a, uh, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter, a lawyer on Twitter um, named Ron Coleman. He's a, he's a pretty, pretty interesting guy. He's really good to follow. And he tweeted out this conversation that he had with an anonymous friend of his who said when he saw that headline, he was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would you say that? Like, why would he want to do something that doesn't have any standing? Like he, he was like, something doesn't, doesn't add up there. And he reasoned through it and realized that what they were building up toward was exactly this one state suing another state because wow. in that case the supreme court has original jurisdiction and they can put all of it together in one big beautiful case to use trump's words and present and have full evidentiary hearings and present everything there so big, all of this evidence <laughs> all of this evidence that's been being put together now potentially can all be delivered to the supreme court and the press will have no choice but to cover it all right. All right. Now you, you've got me. Uh, you know, if we started this conversation, I was like a 2% chance that Trump could win. You've got me to 39. You know, that's, that's a huge <laughs> percentage. You know, like where I, you know, it's, it's closer to 50 50 than uh, closer to zero. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, this is already going to be the longest episode we put out, but I knew it was going to take some time to unpack this all. Uh, so, real quick, what are your predictions? Let's say a year from now, you got to listen back to this episode. What do you see happening from December 8th until January 20th going forward right now? What's going to happen play by play, day by day, week by week, that's going to uh, bring Trump into the Oval Office for another four years? Ooh, man, that's... That's a hard one. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I don't want to cop out, but... I'll say that I'll, I'll give you some possibilities. I'll say these are the things that kind of in, in order of what I think is, is most likely fair. Go ahead. Um, because we're just in, we're into completely unprecedented territory. Like this is, this is never happened before. And um, what I'll do is I'll give, like I, I said earlier that I wanted to talk about the reason why I thought Trump would be ready for all this. And I'll go into that because that'll set the stage for this pretty well. Go ahead. So Trump has prepared this, presidential run he planned all of this decades back he's been preparing for this for decades and there's the the, the meme about trump that he's uh that he's kind of a moron or that he you know has just failed up or you know that he's just kind of a goofball and just kind of is like the luckiest guy on earth that he's just happened to wind up where he is like all of this stuff is preposterous. It's absolutely preposterous. The guy is a funny has a funny way of communicating and he he's very much a boomer, but he is genuinely brilliant. And I'm not saying this because I'm you know like just obsessed with him or something like I adore him. I think he's fucking hilarious. I think he's mm -hmm. really really funny. I could totally agree. But I'm saying this like I'm, I'm objectively analyzing him. You cannot make the case that he's not a genuinely brilliant person because of everything that he's accomplished. He has he has like revolutionized three different industries 
that are all very, very difficult to get into. And they're, they're, they're difficult to get into. They're difficult to be successful within. And he has revolutionized them. So, so corporate or like real corporate real estate, reality TV, and politics, like electoral executive level politics. All of these things he has completely dominated. He is a he is a brilliant communicator, and and he's been wildly successful in all these areas. And people say, oh, we got a lot. He was given money by his dad. Yeah. Do you know how difficult it is to turn a million dollars into a billion dollars? Uh, yeah, that, I, I brought that case up a million times to uh, all my friends that say that on the left. I'm like, I'll get like if you got a million dollars, well, like I wouldn't know where to start. I would try things and I'd probably lose it all. I'd try some real estate. I'd try some car dealerships. I would try a lot, learn a lot. You know, I think I'm pretty entrepreneurial. I could make some money off it eventually, but getting to a billion, that's a whole different level of human being. That that is a suit. Like there's a reason why it's top one percent of one percent that can pull that off. And that's not a, a it's not a like a derogatory term to say one percent of one percent like Bernie Sanders supporters think. Like that's a compliment. Like right. you are the top echelon of entrepreneurs. Right. That's not that's, an easy task. That's the, that's the Pareto principle. That's that that eighty yeah. twenty or ninety ten or ninety nine one. That's that same principle that you the elite of the elite. The guy has gotten himself into the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, well, he's corrupt or what it, what that means is he knows how to play the game. Like if you could do that, you would too. You would be right where he is if you could, because mm-hmm. the, the guy can get anything that he wants and he can accomplish anything that he wants effectively at this point. So he's he's a genuinely brilliant person who has planned this for a long time. And so then one of his major hobby horses has been election fraud. If you go back through his Twitter account, back since 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, he has consistently tweeted about election fraud. And specifically, he's tweeted about machines that change votes. (laughs) He's talked about it over and over and over again. And all the way leading up to this election, He constantly said, the Democrats are going to steal it. There's going to be election fraud. They're going to steal the election. They're trying to steal the election. They're going to do it. They're going to have voter fraud, mail-in ballots. He he targeted all of these things over and over and over again. So that alone would have me be like, okay, well, if he saw all of this coming and he's planned this for decades, then... I would kind of imagine that he's not just going to get broadsided by all of this and not have a plan and is just going to have to concede and slink out of the White House with his tail between his legs. If that's the perspective of Trump that you have, your brain has been poisoned by the press. And again, I'm not saying this as support for him, even though I do support him at this point. I'm saying this as just objectively. The guy is a force to be reckoned with, and he's not just going to lay down. So Mm -hmm. then... In 2018, this is the big, this is the, this is the whopper. In 2018, Trump issued an executive order regarding foreign interference in elections. And in it, he declared a state of national emergency. This election was conducted under a state of national emergency. As part of the executive order, he directed the director of national intelligence 
to prepare a report on election fraud and, and, and voter fraud and, and, and any foreign interference into the election that's to be delivered no later than 45 days after the election. 45 days after the election is December 17th. The Electoral College deadline is December 14th. But all of this is hitting the Supreme Court on December 8th. And the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, just came out and did an interview a couple of days ago talking about China and all of the different corrupt stuff that they've been getting into, including gene editing to create super soldiers. And, and then it just so happens that in the last three or four days, there's been this steady trickle of news that has dropped negative stuff related to China. So hmm. real quick, I'll pull this up. You can edit this out. All right. So I, I put together this, this uh, feed or this, this thread on Twitter um, that I okay, start that over again. I smoked a little weed while you're gone. <laughs> okay. So, so I put together this thread on Twitter, um, which is, um, you can follow me at real King pilled. So this first, first five days ago, there was this, this article that dropped, um, and it says, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe said Chinese authorities had, quote, conducted human testing on members of the Chinese army, quote, in hopes of developing soldiers with biologically enhanced capabilities. So China is creating biologically enhanced super soldiers. So the guy who is responsible, who's currently, according to Trump's executive order, putting together a report detailing foreign interference in the election is doing an interview talking about Chinese authorities um, creating biologically enhanced super soldiers. So well, it's kind of interesting. Next, this article drops Washington Times. China agents and US government helped influence policy. And there's actually a video. I don't remember if it was associated with this article or another one, but there was a video that actually showed a, an influential Chinese businessman or something like that saying, uh, explicitly saying that they have um, people who are like agents for them effectively working at the highest levels of American power. And this was him speaking to a Chinese audience. It was like a kind of a handheld recording. And uh, so that dropped right about the same time. That just kind of comes out out of nowhere. Next, this is uh, yesterday. Exclusive, a suspected Chinese intelligence operative bundled donations for Eric Swalwell's 2014 re-election campaign. Eric Swalwell being a representative from California. The operation targeted politicians in California and across the country. Read Axios's year-long investigation by me and blah, blah, blah. So this article drops. The suspected operative, a Chinese national named Christine Fang, enrolled as a student at Cal State East Bay in 2011. She ended up having a, a sexual relationship with Swalwell. And just so happens that this um, actual Chinese spy was having a sexual relationship with the guy right at the time that he was one of the most vocal proponents of Russiagate, which happened to work very much in the favor of China. So this is another story that just drops, just happens to drop right now. And finally, this other one here that came out today. On July 12, 2019, Georgia Governor Kemp 
I'll say something about Kemp, Kemp in just a minute. Met Houston Consul General Lee Kang Lee at rumored Chinese spy hub consulate in Houston. On July 29, 2019, Georgia signs contract for Dominion voting machines statewide. Coincidence? And then the sources are listed here. So the issue with, with, with Brian Kemp, he's a Republican governor in Georgia. He's the one who, who uh, won that controversial election against Stacey Abrams. He used to be, if I recall correctly, he used to be the Secretary of State. And this is something that just occurred to me. I hadn't actually been thinking about this. He actually used to be, before he was governor, whatever position he was in before involved working with the election, like the technical election process and election machines and stuff like that. And he's been heavily implicated in Dominion. And uh, as an aside, Lynn Wood, one of the attorneys who's been working with Sidney Powell on behalf of Trump, who's a, a, a lawyer who specializes in defamation, he's the guy who represented um, oh, Richard Jewell, the, uh, the guy from the um, Olympics bombing in Atlanta who sued uh, the media and stuff for, for um, defaming his character. Lynn Wood was the guy who represented him. Lynn Wood says, I'm an expert in defamation, and I am saying publicly, he's repeated it multiple times, Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State for Georgia, and a couple other people, you guys are corrupt. You took money from China. You were involved in this election fraud with the Dominion voting systems, and you won't sue me because if we went to discovery, I would I, we would prove that I'm right. So he's made this really strong allegation. And there's been, I, I won't go down this rabbit hole any further, but um, just take my word for it. All another this election fraud. Yeah, another whole other episode. <laughs> all this election fraud associated with Dominion and all with the voting systems and stuff. When Sidney Powell talks about that being associated with Venezuela and funded by George Soros and all this stuff where it starts to get really harebrained, all of it is 100% true and documented. Mm-hmm. I have- She's not lying about it. She's not exaggerating. I have no idea if this is even true or not, but I'm in a, uh, a ongoing group text with three of my older cousins, and uh, two are traditional conservatives, and and one's more of a libertarian, right leaning guy, closer to myself. And uh, he sent an article saying like how Dominion was linked to the Clintons, and yeah. I just texted him back, and I was like, usually I'm a kind of guy who needs to investigate and source things I want to go out and tell people, but I'm gonna go ahead and take that one at face value. <laughs> that one True. just i believe it like, no i can't remember the exact it. connection but it was there was money that went back and forth between dominion and the clinton foundation oh i'm sure um, i think like, dominion dominion was like a representative for them at in some sort of an award ceremony or something along those lines hmm. I, was um, like, I, have, I have no problem repeating that to people i was like I'm, yeah the clintons and dominion it's like i'm not gonna look right. it up but I'm, I'm sure there has to be a yep. connection yeah, yeah. So all of that, all of the stuff associated. So, so Dominion being a Venezuelan company that was created by Hugo Chavez, um, or, or it was, you know, it was, it was close associates of Hugo Chavez. There's, you know, there's no evidence that it actually was. Um, he was actually responsible for it. But come on, it, Hugo Chavez, Venezuela. Like you, you genuinely find it hard to believe that he would create an election system to help him game the elections and ensure that he wins them forever. Like you don't like that. How is that straining credulity to you? It's it's mm-hmm. it's known that the people who created it were Venezuelans who were closely associated with Hugo Chavez, and they're the ones who still own it. And it, it was um last year or the year before um the Chinese there, there's a bank in Switzerland that's known as a front essentially for the Chinese Communist Party, and it invested four hundred million dollars into the. Um, I have to correct myself. Dominion is not the um, 
associated with Venezuela. It's Smartmatic, which has a licensing agreement with Dominion. It's the software that runs on the Dominion machines. They have a, they're the, uh, and they both Dominion and Smartmatic both have um, offices together in the same building in Bermuda or the Bahamas or something like that, somewhere offshore. So hmm. Dominion and Smartmatic are are like peas in a pod essentially, and they were um, owned by uh, Smartmatic was when the one started by uh, Hugo Chavez's associates, and it's the one who got a it got a four hundred million dollar investment. Basically, I think it was seventy five percent of the value of the of the company by from a bank in Switzerland that's a front for the Chinese Communist Party. So that's the, the all these things tying together. All of it is it's all the SEC filings and stuff. It's all proven true. So effectively, Smartmatic, the software program, and all of the vote and the majority of the voting machines in all the swing states is a company funded by the Chinese Communist Party, created by Venezuelan associates of Hugo Chavez, and also backed by the Clinton Foundation and George Soros. It's like it's like a a, a, a who's who of people who would be mentioned on Alex Jones. And, but, it's, but it's all completely true. It's all completely legitimately true. That's a good way to put it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you had me at thirty eight percent. You got me at forty point two seven five. <laughs> you're working, we're going the right direction. I'm, so. I'm working on it. Okay, I got more. All right. So, um, so back to tip to Brian Kemp. Then, so Kemp is was personally one of the most influential people in the Dominion voting systems being installed in Georgia, and that that's something that's a rabbit trail. Obviously, there's a lot of rabbit trails to have to go down and verify and prove. So, some of these I've just taken people's word for it when they say this is true. And I and I've seen kind of the evidence for, it, but I haven't gone and dotted every I and crossed every like Clinton's and Dominion. Yeah, it's like yep, makes sense. Go. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've seen enough. I've seen it reported in enough places that it's obviously true. So mm-hmm. the uh, um, so so Kemp was personally involved in the um, contract being awarded to Dominion to install these machines in Georgia, and despite being a Republican um, governor with a Republican legislature, I believe. He has been a um, he has been strangely like cagey about verifying this election, but verifying the, the 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 fraud here. Like he's like, oh, I've called for a signature audit, but but he's like he's he's been very much obviously like going through the motions, but not actually really pursuing it, even though he's talking up a big game. And this is relevant because there's going to be this runoff election in in um, Georgia for the Senate for the final two seats in the Senate in the beginning of January that right now will run on the exact same machines that had all of this fraud associated with it. And it's going to be under all the exact same um, laws. It's going to be run the exact same way. And the composition of the Senate depends upon it. If these two both lose two Republican senators, both lose, then the Senate will go to the Democrats. If they win, the Senate will remain with the Republicans. If they split, which would be weird. And I don't know why that would happen. Then the the Senate, I believe the Senate will be 50-50. Hmm. So so this is this is the this is these are the stakes here. So anyway, so when it when it this news story drops just out of nowhere that that China that 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 Kemp met with the Houston Consul General for China 17 days before he signed the before Georgia signed the contract for installing Dominion, that's very relevant, especially since China has also provided funding for Smartmatic. So all of this stuff is all dropping 
right before the director of national intelligence is supposed to publish his report detailing foreign interference in the election, and he's out talking about China doing shit. So all of I, all of these things all coming out together, it tells me that there's there's a very clear trajectory here that all of this fraud happened. It's massively extensive beyond people's wildest imaginations. Mm-hmm. And there's a very clear pathway to it all being laid out. And if it is all laid out, it will directly implicate a lot of very powerful people. And this is where people's skepticism kicks in. And they say, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, it's just, oh, no, these people all look look out for their own. They're not going to do, you're not going to do anything about it. You know, it'll be span slaps and, you know, whatever. And it's, it, people just, it, we've called it blackpilling, but I've, I coined a new term today. Maybe other people use it before, but I had never seen it before. Doom pilling. These are people who are doom pilling, where they just take the worst possible case scenario in every circumstance. These people drive me up the wall. They are making me insane. Sorry, I'm going to go on a rant here. Go. Because nobody empowers these corrupt actors like apathy, like apathetic people who are disinterested and just assume that the worst is going to happen. These people feed off of that. It's not, it, it is what facilitates their ability to accomplish anything because people are resigned and just like, yeah, whatever, it's going to happen. They're going to do it. There's nothing we can do about it. It's true that you on your own can't do anything about it. But these people thrive on being able to remain in the shadows, kind of float underneath the surface. They never, it never makes it out into the press. The story never gets out there. You know, it's never, never actually breaks into the public consciousness. It's always just treated as kind of a, like, kind of just a story that that was never actually verified. That's, that's what these people thrive in. And you people claim, not you, but obviously the people I'm talking to here, you claim that you oppose these people. You claim to want to see them gone, but you're actively running cover for them when you say, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, they're whatever. They're just going to do that. They're, they're, all, they're always going to get away with it. There's nothing I can do about it. The state will always look out for itself. That doesn't even make sense on its own merits. Because what, what they would be getting away with would be the thorough and permanent discrediting of the entire electoral process for at least half of the country. So if the state is looking out for itself... It doesn't want to let this type of thing slide because if it lets this type of thing slide, it's going to completely lose credibility and, and, and and losing credibility will mean that it loses power. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, right. Ultimately the, the, the idea that this type of thing will just be allowed to slide and that like nothing will ever come of it presumes it, 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 it that idea presumes a very bizarre thing about a lot of people the not every person who works within the government is a a craven deceitful um you know like demonic entity that is just going to get away with whatever they can and is willing to just pursue whatever corruption they want to there's a lot of people especially once you get into the military 
And once you get into some of these these uh, different wings of the government that are involved in this investigation, once you get into some of those avenues, there's a lot of people there who have this hyper-romanticized view of America and representative government and working for their people and all of this type of thing. And these, these people aren't just going to rubber stamp something like this. And among those would be people like Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito and Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. Those five people aren't interested in watching the U.S. government completely discredit itself and have the entire entire like Republican or, or, or right-wing side of the country just completely check out of the political process. They don't want that to happen. Sure. And those are the people who are ultimately going to be decision makers here. So, so to people who are, who are tempted to just doom pill about this, just realize that number one, you're operating off of bad information. And number two, you're empowering the very thing you claim to hate. And that makes you a hypocrite. So people who doom pill about what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, just realize that you deserve whatever negative thing happens to you. But anyway. So, Matt, if I had to name this episode one of two things, which one would you prefer? If I would say Matt Erickson, dash, can Trump win re-election? Or Matt Erickson, Trump will win re-election. Which one should I go with? Trump will win re-election. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Because, uh, 42% now. You got me in there. <laughs> so, so. So ultimately, so all this is kind of, I was kind of trying to cover all my bases and I had to do this, that rant in the midst of it. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get across here is that there, the, the evidence for the fraud is so overwhelming that it can't be ignored by a lot of people who are going to have the opportunity to weigh in on it. And, and ultimately I think that there's evidence. I think that the evidence is very, very compelling, very persuasive that um, not only has Trump been prepared for this, but he has actively been, I say he, I mean him and, and his associates, the people who back him. Like Trump didn't get where he's going on his own merits. He didn't just do this. He didn't mastermind all of this himself. He's not that type of guy. He's very much the CEO type that's like, all right, well, this is what we're going to try to do. I'm going to be the face of the co of the company and I'm going to be like the, the prominent decision maker. And then I'm going to have all of my advisors and backers and funders and we're going to work on this stuff together. I think that there is abundant evidence that Trump, as this organization of, of, um, of, of influential, wealthy, powerful people, that they are active have actively set up a like for lack of a better word a sting that they saw all of this coming they predicted it they've been it, it's been he's trump has been talking about it for years yeah no, that's, a, that's a great point planned for it ahead of time yeah so okay so here's the last really interesting point a couple of weeks ago trump restructured the leadership at the pentagon and he yeah. ousted a bunch of of like swamp creatures he fired Mark Esper, the existing Secretary of Defense, who was a total like neocon swamp creature. And he replaced him with 
I don't remember the guy's name. Douglas McGregor. No. Um, uh, Chris Miller, Chris Miller. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris Miller is a former infantryman from Iowa who specializes in counterterrorism. So first of all, infantrymen from Iowa doesn't strike me as the type of guy who would be particularly given over to the swamp. I'm stereotyping a little bit, but that that kind of seems like a guy who's more much more likely to be um, a MAGA type than a Bush type. And it just so happens that he is. He's very much a MAGA type. At the same time that Trump did that, he also appointed as that guy's right-hand man. I can't remember the name of the, the office, but it's like the deputy undersecretary of state or something like that. Advisor to secretary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the um, uh, assistant to the secretary. Um, so he, uh, he appointed a guy named Ezra Cohen Watnick. Ezra Cohen Watnick is a, um, a spook. He's, he's very much a spook. And he's a close associate of Michael Flynn, who was Trump's national security advisor, who is someone who's been very much on the record as um, opposing the, the the swamp. He's very much a, like a patriot, a guy who fancies himself a patriot and a, and America first and nationalist and like doesn't doesn't isn't on board with all. Of, he romanticizes the Constitution, etc. He was Trump's national security advisor, meaning that that he was the person Trump put into place to basically be his most um, influential, prominent, and powerful intelligence officer. And he got completely railroaded. I won't. I won't go into that. That's a. That's a whole. That's a whole couple episodes on its own. The stuff that happened to him. <laughs> but I'm sure. But he is now very, very intimately acquainted with the swamp. And the nature of all of this and the nature of the extent to which people, this corruption and all of that, he, um, so one of his close associates, like, like protégés is now the second in command under the secretary of defense. Right about the same time, Trump pardoned Michael Flynn and he effectively created a new branch of the military by, um, restructuring the tra- chain of command for special operations. Special operations now reports directly to the Secretary of Defense. All of these actions do not read to me like a guy who sees himself as a lame duck and is about to concede. These Fair are the point. actions, taking everything into context, taking all of the whole picture into context, these are the actions of a guy who, whether on his own or with a team of people, I think he's with a team of people. These are the actions of a guy who planned and coordinated a sting operation to lay like a dragnet for voter fraud while putting and, and appointing key loyalists at all the decision-making points, Supreme Court, Secretary of Defense, Director of National Intelligence, tried to get National Security Advisor, but the guy's he's now he's now uh, uh, pardoned, so he doesn't have that hanging over his head. And I have it on good authority that Michael Flynn is um, either in charge of or just very influential within Trump's own private intelligence network. 
Trump has his own security force and his own private intelligence network and everything. And, and Michael Flynn is, is either in charge of that or one of the most influential within it. So, right. so, and then now he has effectively, he has his, he has a loyalist who is the head of an entire branch of the military that just so happens to be special operations. This, this all reads to me like a guy who planned and coordinated this and is ready to actually take on the potential of a, of a, of an actual armed coup. And he's like, like he's, he's, he's preparing the battlefield. If the, if it gets to the point where he has to actually fight an, an armed coup rather than just a political coup. You, you have me fairly convinced that, I mean, I, what you're saying, I cannot dispute or poke a hole in any of your theories. Um, that's a solid forty four point three percent now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm almost like if at this rate we're going, you know, if we had like an hour to talk, I think I'd be over fifty. Right. So, um, right. I guess, yeah. uh, which so just tells you you have a compelling argument. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I I don't want to you know I, I'm on your show. I don't want to keep oh, you for uh, for I a don't long care. time. Like, yeah, um, it doesn't bother me at all. But that that's kind of yeah. I, I don't really. I don't know how far much further I want to go. Um, like there's, 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 there's some kind of deep rabbit holes that I've started going down because as I've, as I've started considering all this, I'm like, I have to throw out all of my priors. I like, I, I don't even know what's true and what's not like, what am I op? What is, what is my, what is my data set that I'm operating from? What do I believe? Because everything that I'm seeing directly challenges everything that I've believed in the past to be legitimate and viable. Like we said, it's 2020, like just about anything is on the table at this point. Yep, for sure. So uh, I think, so you asked me what I would predict is going to happen before the 20th. Did you just, did you say just before the 20th or did you say all of 2021? 20th. Yeah. I just wanted to know inauguration or inauguration day. So before inauguration day, what I think is going to happen is kind of the most boring outcome, which is that Trump will win one of one or multiple of these cases in the Supreme Court, and it'll be a, some sort of procedural thing where either either the electoral college votes are awarded to Trump, which I doubt, um, or the uh, the uh, um, it, it goes to if the electoral college votes get thrown out, like say, say for this, this case with Pennsylvania, say the electoral college votes get thrown out. Like the, they say you can't certify them. The whole election was fraudulent. There, there, there are no electoral college votes. You, you, you aren't going to have any, you don't have a say in the president this year. That's, that's a possibility. That's a legitimate possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then with this, 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 um, case where there's all these different States involved in it with Texas, maybe all four of those all get thrown out and neither candidate makes it to 270. If if that happens, then the um the House delegations vote, and um the House delegations is not the House of Representatives, it's not the senators, it's the um you take each state and you have uh the 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 representatives and the senators for that state, the Congress people for that state, and you you sum up who has a majority. So um California has a majority of Democratic congressmen and senators combined. But then, um, like, I think like South Dakota has a majority Republicans. 
So the Republicans control a majority of the states when you consider that. And that's the delegation. So you would have all mm. of the senators and representatives from California would ca- would have one vote. And all of the senators and Congress people for Arizona would have one vote and so on all the way through the whole state, <clears throat> all the way through all the states. So that though, and that's the vote that would be cast to determine the president. All right. Then the, then the vice president is determined by the Senate, which is again, controlled by Republicans ostensibly before there's this runoff with Georgia. So, so the most boring outcome here would be that um, the Supreme court ends up ruling, throwing out these um, electoral college votes and the house delegations and the Senate vote on who the president's going to be. And it winds up being Trump and Pence. And then that, and that it just goes back to that. And that's Trump is inaugurated and, and we all live happily ever after that's, that would be the most boring outcome. And that's the m- most kind of down the middle outcome before you start invoking kind of wild, crazy things. Um, if you have to start invoking wild, crazy things, then there's a whole bunch of different directions that it can go. And but basically all of that would be predicated on like, if you don't think that Trump is just going to concede and lay down and roll over, you probably don't think that the people who are against him are just going to concede and lay down and roll over. That's where it's ugly. If that's the case, then what you're going to see is as soon as the Supreme Court rules or even hints that they're going to be ruling against them and, and creating that sort of a scenario is riots. We're right back to the riots. And not the Antifa, Black Lives Matter riots, the ugly ones we don't want to see. Much They'd be much worse. They're going to be yeah. ramped up. Now you're getting, like, what's been happening with the riots leading up to this is this color revolution thing that I think we talked about in the last yep. episode. Yep. And <clears throat> so the people who were involved in that color revolution that's how they do things in Eastern Europe. The way they do things in the Middle East is they fund and arm rebel groups. So they brought the Europe, Eastern European strategy to America. If we reach a scenario, I think, where like electoral college votes are just being invalidated from a state and it's going to the House delegations to vote for Trump or whatever, then I think we're going to see the Middle East rev- color revolution strategy brought to America, where you start seeing armed rebel groups that are firing on, on or, do, or, or doing something. You're going to see something along those lines. And perhaps it's just extra violent riots. Mm. But either way, you're going to see violence in the streets. This is what I would predict. You'll see violence in the streets. And then the ball is in Trump's court. What does he do? And that's where I think the special operations reporting directly to the Secretary of Defense, who specializes in counterterrorism, that's where I think that comes in. That is Trump's force for putting down insurrection within the country. And so then it's a matter of, does he just put down the insurrection and have it stay with that? Or do the people who actually like put together and masterminded this whole thing, do they get pursued? Do they get prosecuted? Because obviously like, like Trump, was elected and then he was like lock her up lock her up and then he got elected and he left hillary didn't lock her up yeah right but if hillary clinton had started coming out and issuing proclamations and and rallying her supporters to go like fight in the streets then it would have forced his hand and he probably would have had to do something about her in a scenario like this where through the legal process he's been declared president or is on his way to being declared president. And the people who, who have orchestrated all of this, they take it to the next level. 
then that's going to force his hand and he's going to be taking it to the next level. And that's where things that that's why I say you asked me to predict where it's going to go. I don't know because oh, yeah, there's a wild once card. it hits that point, it can but go. But you see, correct. you see, no matter what, pretty much it's going in his favor, right? Okay. No matter what, it's going to unless he concedes. That's like that's that's and and that I don't see why he would concede. I like, don't see it happening unless there was some kind of like you know threats to his family or grandchildren. Like that could be the only thing that could sway someone like him. Um, but yeah, we're at the two hour mark, but Hey, now yeah. we already crossed two hours, you know, in, you know, you're two hours behind me in time zone and I'm already up. So let's shift away from the president talk real quick. I just, uh, figured one thing I want to kind of know about you is a guy like you, you've got to be into music. <laughs> what kind of, <laughs> what kind of, <laughs> what kind of music does Matt Erickson listen to? I've always kind of wondered that you're definitely not a top 40 oh. pop guy, you know? And, uh, but I could definitely tell us, you know, so like how I want to know about you. That's funny. Um, I used to listen to music like all like constantly. Like I was always mm-hmm. listening to music. And Same. then now I listen to books and 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 podcasts and stuff more often. <laughs> so I don't listen <laughs> to music. Exact much. same story. Yeah. But you know how a lot of people will say, Oh, I listen to everything. Mm-hmm. I genuinely like I act, but then they don't actually like. They'll be like, you'll be like, oh well, what about this? Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like. That. I I legitimately listen to everything. Mm-hmm. I I like some of absolutely everything, and I will go out of my way. I have playlists, and will go out of my way to listen to absolutely everything. So okay. you said I don't like top forty, but I I like One Direction. Like I'll listen to okay. One Direction on purpose. Um, then I'll also I'll listen to to like Norwegian death metal. And I'll listen to Tupac and then I'll listen. I have like under, other like underground um, indie rappers that I'll listen to, or I'll listen to Lil Dicky, or I'll listen to country. I love listening to country music. I love classical music. I like opera. Um, I like, uh, I like punk. I really like, I used to, I went through a stage where I really liked like uh, uh dashboard confessional. I'll listen to them. Like, so there's, I'll listen to, to gospel. Literally. Music. I'll listen <laughs> Literally to, everything. uh, Bluegrass, yeah, anything. Right, wow, literally everything. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys where I, I, I say, like, I try to generalize, like, yeah, I listen to everything, but yeah, I, I, I'm not really much of a rap guy or a death metal guy, and I really despise pop music with the passion of a thousand sons. But yeah, yeah I, other than that, though, I love everything. I love classic country, classic rock. Uh, you know, you know, Neil Diamond, Frank Sinatra, mm. '50s music. I like everything like i just look i will get obsessed for like weeks at a time of one genre one one yeah. singer one album i'll go i'll go like deep down this rabbit hole and like read books on it and um yeah but i've always found music is an extremely influential tool to kind of introduce ways to think you know and that's that's why i found like you said before podcasts and audiobooks that's what i listened to that was what really kind of made me think outside the box compared to what i was seeing on tv or here at school do you are you familiar with the band um, Gaslight Anthem? No. Oh, they're really really good. If you if you like like classic rock and, and Neil Diamond and that kind of thing, then you really mm. like Gaslight Anthem. Sure, you should definitely up. check them out. And uh, the lead singer and I think like one of the guitarists or something from Gaslight Anthem did a um, one spinoff album called The Horrible Crows. And crows is spelled with an e. The horrible crows, C R O W E S. Um, and that's that's another one of my favorite albums. It's a really good one. Okay. Well, cool. We're we're at we're about two oh five here, so sounds like a pretty good place to wrap. But yeah, we could, <laughs> you're definitely welcome back anytime, man. We have plenty more to talk about. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> do. See, see what I there's there's a lot of stuff that um 
I just barely scratched the surface of yeah, the, I can see that of the going off the rails kind of stuff. Like I, uh, when I say that that Alex Jones is the most prophetic man in America, I have a you might call it um uh, like like Tom Woods has uh, Woods's law, which mm-hmm. is um, no matter who you vote for, you always wind up with with John McCain. John McCain, yeah, and. I have, I, I guess you might call it, uh, uh, I'll come up with a cool name, Erickson's Law or something like that. Or, um, but it's, Well, good it's, news for you is, I think uh, Alex Jones announced that he's retiring next year, so there's going to be a, a vacuum. And, you know, well, yeah, so that's, that's where I go. <laughs> you just got to deepen your voice a little bit, get a bunker. <laughs> Globalist. <laughs> uh, but my, my, like, Erickson's Law would be that uh, um, given a sufficient time frame, Alex Jones is always proven right. It is true. He's he's a nutcase. He's you can't even put your name anywhere near him. And it's like hmm, he's right about that, but he's still wrong about this. He's still wrong about this and that and that and this. So you can't you can't do it. And it's like one well, of those things got proven right too. But he said this thing too, and this got crazier years later. Yep. So yeah, I've got I, my dad's been way on that <laughs> train before me. He's like, I'm tired of hearing about Alex Jones being crazy. He's like, he is the most vindicated guy in news right now. <laughs> I'm like, right. And I think I'm not going to say that. Continue yeah. being vindicated. I I'm, yeah. I'll. I'll make that predict. Like at this point, I'm going out uh, completely out on a limb, and I'm just going off of my like my intuition. Um, and so, I, people get all riled up when I start saying stuff like this. But I'm I'm I predict that over the next year, Alex Jones is going to be proven more right than he's ever been proven. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna retire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or die. <laughs> uh, yeah, irony. That's probably why he wants to retire because he knows that's coming. He's yeah. gonna go off in the woods and hunt and hike and fish and. Yeah. So, all right, Matt. Thank you so much. Um, once again, if you want to just give me some plugs real quick, and then we'll call it a day. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at, at 10 a.m. Pacific, um, I uh, co-host on a show we live stream uh, called Wealth Power and Influence with Jason Stapleton, and then you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Real Kingpilled, and same on on Instagram. And then keep an eye out. I'm going to be starting my own podcast and uh, uh, YouTube channel. Um, I still need to convert my YouTube channel over to a uh, uh, um, a branded account, and so I can send people to that too. But if you search for Matthew Erickson on YouTube, you might find me. And maybe I should put, I should put a link in my Twitter profile so people can find my YouTube channel because I've done a couple of live streams with with uh, a buddy of mine, and um, he's the one who got me started on doing all this stuff. He told me that people needed to hear what I had to say, so I was like, "All right, fine." So he twisted my arm, and I started doing it. So yeah, go follow me on Twitter at Real Kingpilled and uh, and listen to Wealth Power and Influence Jason Stapleton. Yeah, just to give you another shameless plug, I've I felt the same way too. It's like you know I love listening to Jason, and I, I really like the fact that you're a part of the show too. Of all his co-hosts that he's had in the past, I've really enjoyed listening to both you guys. Um, but I, I think I even emailed your wife like a year ago saying like, can you tell Matt to start his own podcast? Not cause I don't like Jason. I just want to have a, <laughs> one hour uninterrupted of his thoughts. Like, cause like you get going on tangent and Jason's like, yeah, that's, that's a great point, Matt. And then he goes on his and it's like, okay, I like his too. But he, I, like, I need both you guys separate sometimes. It's like Simon and Garfunkel. Like, right. you know, like do, do some reunion albums, you know, like go tour, but <laughs> do some solo albums too. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had. So. Over the last year, between Amy and I, we've probably had over, I don't know, over 50 people at least who have written to us and said, when's Matt starting his podcast? And so she kept being like, come on, you need to you need to do it. You need to do it. And so apparently I wouldn't listen to my wife, but I would listen to Stephen Messina. So, uh, <laughs> there so there's that. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, and it's not that hard. It's not that expensive. And you've, uh, I mean, you've uh-huh. already pretty much asserted yourself into the world and have a pretty decent following and reputation. So, yeah, please go for it. All right. I will do that. I promise. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, man.